Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. It's That Weems Guy back for another episode. And uh, I want to say that the John Dobb episode that released last week is doing outstanding in the numbers. And so John asked me, could he expect groupies from this? And I said, yeah, but unfortunately, they're old white guys wearing cargo pants and plaid shirts. So, uh, you know, that's what it gets when you're a high performing guest on the number one uh, recorded podcast in my kitchen. You know, that's there, there's there's consequences to that. Uh, joining me tonight are Rick Remington and Mr. Tim Reedy. Uh, Rick, would you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Rick Remington. Uh, I live up in Northwest Washington State. I uh, teach at the Skagit Shooting Range in Burlington, Washington, and uh, focus mostly on on new shooters, and then from there get into defensive pistol stuff. All right, Tim. Uh, my name is Tim Reedy. I run TDR training out uh, mostly at Bandera, Texas, a little bit northwest of San Antonio. And I do much the same that Rick does, uh, focus on getting newbies comfortable and competent, uh, then hoping, uh, helping them progress after that. I also run a, a defensive pistol match every month, sometimes IDPA, uh, sometimes not IDPA. Well, it's funny that both of you did a lot with dealing with new shooters, because guess what? That's our topic tonight hey. is dealing with new shooters. Um, Tim and Rick were both at the TATCOM tactical conference uh, this past week and we were just talking about different things as hey why don't you two come on and we'll talk about dealing with new shooters um you know kind of the, the old cop thing is cops forget what it was like to be rookies and they expect every trainee to know everything that they know and sometimes you got to remind them or remind yourself like, hey guys we were new one time too and the same thing kind of applies in the shooting world is you get the people that become the Wiley class veterans, you know, that attend two or three classes a year with, with the big name traveling instructors and everything. And, and that this becomes their hobby and their pastime. And they get so deeply immersed into it that they forget what it was like to start out on the path and they get frustrated with the new guys. And I believe it was Kathy Jackson that, that made the statement that the new shooters are the people who need the best instructors but the big name traveling folks don't typically do the newbie classes because newbies aren't going to roll out and pay those prices and have all that steering gear and have the knowledge to roll into those things. So um, there's a term out there that gets applied to people that are focusing on the newest shooter and that's called gateway instructor. And I think uh, our friend Tiffany um, has coined that. Since we mentioned Tiffany, do we have to say podcast bingo? <laughs> Podcast bingo. Podcast yep. bingo. bingo. There we go. Um, so Rick made a very key statement in our show pre-show discussion: <coughs> the difference between gateway and gatekeeper. So Rick, I'd like for you to expand on that. Well, I, I think generally, uh, when when new shooters come to a class, uh, decide to take their first class. 
we as instructors are the are the first real experience they have with somebody who's seriously in the gun culture, if you will. And we need to be as welcoming as possible and, and bring them in instead of deciding, no, we don't want, you know, we don't want new people. We don't want whatever your views are, whatever, you know, pick your, pick your issue, if you will. We want to bring everybody in that we can for, to me, a couple of reasons. One, self-defense is a human right. It doesn't matter race, creed, color, politics, anything. It's a human right. You have, everyone has just as much right to defend themselves as anyone else. And uh, secondly, if we can get them comfortable with firearms and be welcoming, maybe, maybe that may change their views enough that it might affect their voting pattern a little bit. That if an, an initiative comes up that's going to restrict gun rights or something, oh, I know about that and that's not right. So maybe they'll vote no on it. Okay. Uh, one thing I do not get into at all in my classes, and I, I just stomp down any discussion of, is politics. Be, just for that reason, because I don't want to alienate anyone, and it shouldn't make a difference what their politics is. Um, over the years, I have run into instructors who have gone down that rabbit hole and alienated a lot of people and i'd rather bring those people into the culture than not so we want to be we want to be a gateway into this and if we can make the learning experience uh enjoyable educational and fun for them um maybe they'll take another class and and decide yeah i kind of like this this was cool let's let's do more of this you know and it's not just it's just not just taking classes it's also becoming more involved in the gun culture itself you know becoming more active shooters and more regular shooters i guess is the right term <clears throat> excuse me uh, <laughs> but yeah you know becoming regular regular members of the of one of the many gun cultures as was explained uh, once, um, but yeah, getting, bringing them in instead of keeping people out. Tim? That's what I meant by that. Yeah. Tim, any thoughts on uh, that? Absolutely. Uh, I like the way you put a lot of that, Rick. Uh, I agree with it completely. And Tiffany is the one that I heard gateway instructor from. And, and when I heard that the light bulb went on and I thought that's exactly what I am. I want to take folks who are brand new to guns give them a good, strong foundation and uh, a safety mindset, safe handling, marksmanship and mindset so that when Tom Gibbons comes to town or Spencer Keepers comes to town, these folks can go take a class with them and Tom will look at them and go, you're pretty squared away. Let's just fine tune these things and, and bring you further along, but we don't have to fix anything. And uh, that, that gateway instruction is something that uh, I just, I find great joy in it. Uh, when students come to me and they say, I, I'm sorry, I don't know anything about guns. And I tell them that that makes me happier than anything because you have no bad habits. You don't have to unlearn anything. And the, uh, the progress that I see brand new folks come when they're brought into a very welcoming, uh, comforting, safe atmosphere. Uh, you know, I've got folks doing just what would 
or, or things that I couldn't have accomplished in my first 10 years of shooting after just, you know, two hours, four hours, six hours, something like that. And it's just, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite things in the world. Exactly. About, about a quarter of my students have never fired a gun before. Okay. Uh, just about half of them do not own firearms at all. And those are the ones that I'm like you, like you just said, Tim, those are the ones that are the, the, the best ones to work with, you know, because we can show, we can start them out correctly and, and move them along correctly. So I think a big, I think a big part of, of working with brand new people is demystifying just what a gun is. Okay. Uh, a certain percentage of my students that I run into being that new, I seem to attract the, the never ever's as, as a friend of mine calls them, they've never ever fired a gun is um, some of those are literally afraid of firearms, but they have felt the need for whatever reason, either a personal uh, security issue, or they're just fearing the way Western civilization is going or whatever. Okay. Um, that they might need more than, you know, just some harsh language. And so they have a fear of guns. And I use a, a quote from Marie, from Marie Curie, nothing is to be feared. It is only to be understood. So now, so now let us understand so that we may fear less. And once they, you know, we start at ground zero, of course, first is safety. We explain, we go into 45 minutes explaining, explaining the four rules of firearm safety. After that, we go into exactly how the gun functions. And then they start manipulating firearms in the classroom with plugged barrels, of course, for an extra layer of safety you know, teaching them how to grip it and how to rack the slide and things like that. And they wind up handling the firearm so much that now they're just a chunk of plastic and steel. And a lot of the mystery is gone. And then we can teach them from once that once the fear is over, now we can now we can make progress. I want to go back to something you said there in your initial explanation of gateway versus gatekeeper. And what we've seen in the last couple of years with the pandemic and all the riots and everything and whatever was this massive influxes of new gun purchasers in the United States. And guess what? Not all of those people that ran out and bought guns are white Anglo-Saxon Protestant males. Exactly. And exactly. those are people who, you know, want to come and, uh, they saw a need to go out and get, get a tool to better protect themselves and their families and you know they don't need to be turned away just because their political views may not match yours. And you know I'm just remembering this as I happened to be in a, in a gun shop, uh, just because I was just going through it every so often just to see what was on the shelves and stuff. And I see a guy who is obviously not of my political leanings in in the in the store, and he's over looking at different guns and everything, just um, you know trying to figure something out. And I just kind of walked over and said, hey, man, uh, can I help you with something? Can I, can I give you a couple of questions? And I was in uniform. 
And he, you know, he turned and he looked and, and he saw the badge and everything. And he kind of got a little hesitant and everything. I said, look, look Dave, I, I, we're, we're just two guys in a gun store. Let, let's just chat for a second. And we ended up having a very friendly conversation. I helped him pick out a couple of things. I said, look, I'll make some recommendations for some trainers in the area and that aren't me. So I'm not trying to get your business. I'm trying to help you. Mm -hmm. And it turned out to just be really good, you know, exchange. And most of the people that will listen to this audience are familiar with the name Tiffany Johnson. You know, however many years ago it was, Tiffany walked into a gun shop in Memphis, Tennessee, with the intent of challenging her stereotype of gun owners. And she walked in expecting to get one response, and she just happened to walk into Range Master, and it was Tom Gibbons. And got a completely different response. And now Tiffany has done things like speak to the United Nations on, you know, the human right of self-defense. Because guns don't have rights. We have rights. And it just, it just always baffles me that somebody shows up to a gun class and it turns into a, you know, Republican, you know, campaign commercial and not really a good Republican campaign commercial. And I'm struck, reminded by a pastor that, that I know that talked about how someone walks through the church door and somebody runs over them to them immediately with a membership card for the church. And he's like, no, 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 no. Let's welcome them. Mm -hmm. Make sure yeah. that they know they're welcome to come back. And if they so desire later to join the church, but great. And okay. I, I just I just liken that to everything that you just said, right? And I want to throw that point back out to both of you, sir. And if you don't mind, let me go jump ahead, in Tim. here yeah. real quickly. Yeah. Uh, I actually, I think I stole the idea for this from your website a number of years ago. But um, I, when Tiffany built my website for me, it had about Tim Reedy and about his classes. And um, after, after about six months or a year, I went in and I edited the about to uh, add the, the, uh, the language that says, you know, TDR training welcomes all students. We don't care, you know, what you look like, where you're from, who you vote for, who you love, you know, what bathroom you use, uh, any of that. We just care that you are interested in, you know, protecting yourself and your family. And uh, it, it follows up with our classes are a politics-free zone. So no matter what, you know, what what your political issue is, we we don't talk about it in class. As As Rick mentioned, there's there's, there's no politics allowed in this class other than the one thing that says, if you get a chance to vote for legislation to advance the rights of gun owners, you know, please look at it carefully and consider supporting it. Yeah, you, something you just touched on there sparked a thought. I don't have time in my classes to get to politics. You know, there's so much information uh, that we are trying to to get across to people. And like you said, I have had a very diverse group of students. Um, the next city to the north is Bellingham. And Bellingham has Western Washington University in it, which uh, people frequently call Berkeley North. Okay. Uh, gives you an idea of the political climate up there. A friend of a young friend of mine went through there and uh, gun owner and frequent trainer and things like that. And I asked him how he did that. And he said, I'm 
I'm, I'm I could work for the CIA in a foreign country and nobody would know I was there. Right. He just really kept his head down and his mouth shut, you know, because it's a, it's, it's quite a, a progressive university, you know, uh, I have had, uh, I've had college professors from up there take my classes, you know, and I, it, you can get a hint of what their policies were. Didn't matter to me. Didn't matter to me. You know, uh, like I say, I've had, you, you can, you can pick your slot on the, on the uh, on the the roulette wheel of, of possible different diversities there, and I think I've had them come through the class. I don't I don't care. I'm just happy they're there. And my it's my job to make them feel welcome. So, and several of them have mentioned that. So, yeah, I think it was Steve Anderson on the old Severian Care Carry Radio podcast um, brought up the term non-gun versus anti-gun. Yes. It's like there's a huge segment of the population that's not anti-gun, but they're just non-gun. And I think you can say that they're not into it as much as like people like us are. Yeah. They they really don't care either way. But to go back to what you were saying, Rick, they're kind of ignorant, not ignorant in a negative way, just ignorant and they're not well versed in the stuff. And when they hear something like, you know, common sense gun legislation you know how get rid of these high cap magazines and we'll go with 10 rounders they might sit there and go well okay that actually sounds reasonable but they don't understand all the other implications that comes with that right and if we shut out those people then we're losing a chance to actually bring people in that might you know when they see something come down the line like that it's not saying that we're recruiting them to come vote 100% in our voting record matching up, but you know, they might look at an issue and go, I'm not going to vote to support that particular piece of legislation, but it doesn't mean they have to change their entire ideology. Exactly. Exactly. Any, any final thoughts from either you on that topic before we move on? Not, not at the moment, Rick. No, I think, I think that pretty well covers that. Uh-huh. And, you know, you, you mentioned the time aspect, which we're going to get into time later. But, you know, if you're struggling for time in your classes, cut out all the extraneous stuff and maybe mm-hmm. you'll find it there. There's um, uh, So, Lee, on that topic, sure. one of the uh, one of the quotes that I have as a signature in my emails is an engineer knows he has achieved perfection, not when there is nothing left to add, but nothing left to take away. And in building my holster class for TACCON, uh, I had an Air Force fighter pilot uh, instructor sit in on all of my classes and audit them and take notes. And after each class, we would sit down and he would say, you spent six and a half minutes on this. Does that really apply to a draw, to drawing the gun and presenting it on the target? I was like, not really, but it's important. He said, yes, it's important, but does it apply to this? I was like, nope, you know, scratch it. And he helped me pare that class down to just... Uh, precisely the essentials to convey three hours of information in an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh, both of you in, in our pre-show discussion brought up the topic of safety. And Tim, you phrased it as procedural versus atmospheric. And that just, mm-hmm. that terminology just reached right out and grabbed at me. And so floor is yours, Tim. Explain to us what that means. Okay. So um, 
basically in all my classes, we lead off with the safety discussion. I, I say that the number one rule in all my classes is everybody goes home with the same number of holes that they arrived with. And, uh, you know, we kind of, you know, get a little laugh there. And then I give them my mnemonic for the four rules of gun safety, which uh, is my only contribution, my only original contribution to firearms training. And that's let's meet for tacos, loaded muzzle, finger and target. Uh, but, you know, we also we, we talk about how it's it, it's an entire, um, you know, that 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 this safe gun handling, this this constant awareness that these items uh, are extremely uh, powerful and if misused or carelessly handled or even thoughtlessly handled for just an instant can have life changing or life ending consequences. Uh, and I just ensure that in all my classes, there's, you know, there's no tolerance for any unsafe behavior. You know, we have close to watch. I make sure I have at least, uh, you know, one safety officer for every four people, including myself. And uh, we just keep a keep a very close hand on it. And I've never had to, to give to really fuss at anybody more than once about being careful with what they're doing. Uh, and so I had a couple of college professors come to me for training about a year and a half ago. And um, yeah, I can guess what their political affiliation was and everything else. But uh, the funny thing was, is we sat down and talked about all this for 45 minutes. And then we took a break and having a drink. And one of them turned to me and said, this, this class isn't at all what I expected. And I said, did you expect to show up and I'd give you eye protection and ear protection and then you'd be going pow, 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 pow. And, and they said, yeah, that's kind of what we expected. And I said, do you, do you like what you're seeing? And they said, very, very much. So they uh, they really enjoyed that that emphasis on safety and just the whole atmosphere that this is a, you know, that their uh, their education is important, but their safety is the most important thing in this class. You know, what you just said there helps combat the mindset that we're all just crazy trigger happy. And, mm -hmm. you know, when we are driving home the fact that these are deadly instruments, if used in such a manner. And that there are dire consequences for their usage or improper usage. You know, that goes right back to the whole gateway thing. Mm -hmm. you know, these people are responsible. They're not just looking for the chance or they're not just willy nilly out there running, doing stupid stuff with guns. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And, and having just heard Tom say it again in class recently, I emphasize mm -hmm. that the four rules are not range rules. These are lifestyle rules. These are living with guns rules. These are being around guns and they apply anywhere, not just at the range. And, uh, and that part of that mindset, I think really uh, resonates with these folks. All right, could you That's, delve, let me stay with Tim for a second. Could you delve into what you mean by atmospheric? Uh, so again, with that atmospheric, it's just that um, it is, you know, that, that I, take responsibility for the overall safety of the scene. And, and people are like, gosh, I, I don't know if I can do this. And, and I tell them, you know, it, it's okay. I am not gonna let you do anything unsafe. We're gonna start off with, with blue guns or red guns or, or guns with blocked barrels. And we're gonna do this and I'm gonna have you practice your gun handling until you know what is proper, what is expected and that you would have to make a conscious effort to do something incorrect. And then when we go to live fire, uh, there's gonna be very close supervision on all of this. And that, that you, know, you are not going to be able to do something uh, unsafe if, if there is any humanly possible way to prevent that. That, that it's, 
you know, the class is going to be safe. And yes, we're going to have, you know, six or eight people on the line here eventually uh, shooting, but it is going to be as safe as it's humanly possible to, to make it so. And, and kind of, uh, you know, because being on a, on a public range with folks who don't know anything about guns and, you know, there's guns out at the table, there's guns in the cars and the parking lot and everything. Um, I, uh, I, I make sure that we have a, a bay to ourselves and that there's absolutely uh, no activity that would um, uh, give them cause for concern is happening. So very clear direction uh, from start to finish. How do you arrive? How do you come out with your gun? What are we gonna do here? Uh, and it's just, it's very organized. Um, you know, it kind of goes to that Tiffany and Akil when they're teaching beginners, having a, a very clean, well-organized, simple, focused range setup so that everybody understands what's going on and there's no confusion, there's no concern uh, about safety. All right, Rick. To echo something uh, Tim said there, uh, the, way I, the way I approach it and explain it is gun safety is a lifestyle change. Once you own a firearm, you have to, you are, you need to adopt the gun safety lifestyle and you have to make that mental commitment to that to be as safe as we can be with them because the, the potential for something bad happen, happening is somebody winds up with a bullet hole in them. So we have to take safety very seriously. And what you were talking about, Tim, about the atmospherics is a, I completely agree with. Um, with, as, with all shooters, no matter what level class, but especially with brand new shooters who have no exposure to that and may have some trepidation about guns, doing everything you can to make things, make the entire experience feel as completely safe as they can. That, like I say, nobody's going to be going out there blazing away with guns and they're not going to be interfered with. Like you said, you have you have a, a bay to yourself. I teach at an indoor range and we have one range to ourselves. Nobody else comes in and out of there. Uh, everybody is, is supervised. I, my maximum class size is six students. Uh, the bay, we, it's a small bay. It has six booths in it. So that's all we can fit in there. I don't like running relays just because of time. Also in the classroom, uh, it is three tables with two persons at each table wide, so I can fit six people side by side, so when they are handling guns, there's nobody in front of them, or, including me. I make quite a production about stepping behind them. I say, you know, I really don't like people pointing guns at me, and before I step in front of them again, I make everybody show me their hands so that nobody has a gun in their hand before I step in front and so, all these little things help reinforce things like muzzle direction or handling guns with when other people are around, you know, it, they just keep, they just help reinforce this constantly. So, and, and that's how, that's how humans learn is by repetition, right? By doing things over and over again, especially doing things correctly over and over again. And that's what we're trying to help these people do is build the correct habits. So in a moment of inattention or stress, they default to doing the right thing. Yep. 
know, you, you mentioned the classroom setup, and there is an <coughs> entity that's about 20 minutes from where I live that teaches the Georgia Armed Security Guard class. And I was looking at their webpage here recently, and they have pictures from their classrooms of like a traditional classroom set up with like rows of tables. And they've got all the students standing there, you know, gripping actual firearms pointed towards the front of the class. So, you know, the guys in row two are pointing at the back to the guys in rows one. The guys in the row three are pointing at the back to the guys in row two and row one. And I'm looking at this and like, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that they at least checked all the firearms and made sure they were empty. But I'm, I'm, I'm just watching this. And just How could that seem like a good idea? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's okay. It's okay. They're unloaded. Yeah. Right. What was, right. What was that first rule? <laughs> but that, that's right. All guns are always something. I can't remember what it is. Right. Yeah. And I look at and you know, just, just think of the implications that if that organization or that entity I had struggled to call it an organization. Um, <laughs> if they were to have an incident, yeah, mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's their advertising. Yeah, yes, you know, it's showing yeah. them. It's showing basically their malpractice. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it 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 certainly seems that way to folks that that mm-hmm. in the circles we travel with. That is uh, sadly, I I think a lot of people think nothing is wrong with that, but. And, and what does it say if you spend all this time on your safety briefing and then you have people handle the guns in a way that violates your safety briefing? Right. Mm-hmm. Because doesn't that just completely obviate the whole thing? And yeah. I, I remember being a rookie in the, in the academy, gosh, 23 years ago now, and them going through a safety briefing and they hit that rule about we never point a firearm at someone we don't intend to, to, to shoot. Mm-hmm. And then they had us go out and they had us do a low ready that had us actually pointing the firearm at the target representing a human being. And we're like, didn't they just tell us not to do this? Why are we, what? And so I actually like tried to get one of the assistant instructors' attentions and I'm like, hey, what's going on? Of course, their answer was stop jerking the trigger because that's all they knew how to say. But <laughs> it's, it just baffles me. Mm-hmm. so-called instructors if your training violates your safety briefing what are you actually training your people to do and i'll throw that back out to you rick well yeah exactly and um something one of my students mentioned to me one time uh is they noticed even when i'm in front of the class handling a blue gun i follow the four rules and they, they, or when I am demonstrating holster work or anything, I always go gently into the holster. And they said, you're, you're, you were always doing that. And there's a reason for that is because monkey see monkey do. Right. That's, you know, the humans are visual creatures and visual, visual things make a big impact. So we as instructors have to model proper behavior. And if we can, model safe gun handling consistently always throughout the class ourselves they will stand a better chance of absorbing it tim uh absolutely um the the care of of 
that we take with the demonstration firearms that we use in classroom, uh, you know, they imprint on that and they see that it's, uh, it's, it's sort of along those lines of all guns are always loaded, you know, treat them as such. And if you have one set of safe rules for guns that are loaded and a different set for guns that are unloaded, you know, at some point you're going to mix up the status of those guns. So just one set of consistent safe gun handling rules. Um, it, a quick thing is one my first professional training was with uh, Clint Smith at Thunder Ranch. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, I'd learned how to shoot fairly well. Uh, you know, I'd been to a few matches and some other stuff. Uh, but I just, I never really felt comfortable around ranges and, and lots of people with guns. And when I walked into Thunder Ranch and he sat us down in the classroom and he said, okay, the rule here is I don't care if you carry your gun hot, cold, or lukewarm, the gun stays in the holster until you are on the line and told to take it out. And I, it just, the, the light bulb went on over my head and I thought, holy cow, how simple is that? If nobody's handling a gun, there's no risk because a gun in the holster is a safe gun assuming a proper holster and a properly designed gun, of course. But uh, it, it was just, it was suddenly, it's that, it was that clear. And that's, that's one reason why I'm such a huge fan of teaching newbies how to work from a holster, not necessarily, you know, work on draw or anything else, but to, to safely holster and safely take a gun out of the holster, because that obviates the whole need for any gun handling anywhere except on the line. You know, and that, that right there goes back to something else you said as far as atmosphere safety and i guess you could make it procedural as well is mm -hmm. and i've kind of learned this one over the years you really need to have somebody greeting the students in the parking lot mm -hmm. or at the wherever they arrival with the guns and making sure that mm -hmm. the expectations are established mm -hmm. or do not handle your firearm at this time whatever status is in is leave it in that status at this point in time mm -hmm. um because you know, I, I deal with the private sector and I deal with, with the cops. And if I'm not standing there when, when say the cops start rolling into the parking lot, or I don't have someone standing there giving people specific instructions as this is what you do or don't do, they tend to freelance. Yes. And that's when you start hearing the sound of a gun getting drawn behind you everything because they're trying mm -hmm. to clear out a gun at their car mm -hmm. oh well my gun will need to be empty at the start of this or whatever and you know that's just one of the things and that comes in you got to be at the range early enough to get it set up so that you can be there to do that or have someone mm -hmm. standing by have someone meet and and on a note with that uh i've been my my idpa number uh not quite as impressive as tom givens what zero 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 six uh, but my IDPA number, oh, he's eight. Okay, mine is 1570. So I, I came in a few months after he did, but uh, I've been competing in IDPA since it started. And uh, I have never, ever been to a match that had a clearly defined unload table. They have a safety table where you're not allowed to handle ammo, but there is no table where you can show up to the range arm, go and take your carry ammo out of your gun without violating the rules. So for, you know, however many years I've been, you know, in the parking lot, taking it out and jacking around with it in the mm -hmm. parking lot, because I didn't want to get disqualified at these matches. So I've, I've, in the matches I run, I've made it a point. And the announcement, it says, we will have unload tables in bay one and two. If you show up armed, did you want to change out your carry ammo? 
Excellent. It seems a, like a big oversight for IDPA, uh, but <laughs> that's because you. a lot of the competitors take their gun off and put it in their bag and put it in the trunk of the car and leave the range unarmed. Yes. Yep. And by the same token, you should have a load up area. It, yeah, it, it, it's a, so it's it, it's called I call it the the, the unload slash load table in these yeah. in these bays during the match. It's a safety table, no ammo handling. But before the match and after the match, it is your load unload table. Yeah. Rick, any any thoughts on that? No, I I think that's a that's a that's a great point. Um, my handgun fundamentals class, my basic class, I provide all the. I don't really have the issue of having to meet people in the parking lot because I provide the guns, holsters, ammo. I provide everything, so nobody has to bring their anything. And in I send out a text message a few days before class. And one of the things that I remind them is I am providing everything. You do not need to bring, bring anything with you, please. No, you know, if you want to bring your store, your firearm in the, in the classroom, that's one thing, but it will be in a bag in the back corner, you know, and you will be using my equipment during the class unless you have special needs. And uh, I've run into, I've run into a couple of those students that, you know, my default gun that I, start students with is a Glock 19 uh, because it's the generic pistol, right? Uh, but I had one student that uh, had, uh, he had two, he had two partial fingers on his left hand and he had two partial fingers on his and a th partial thumb on his right hand and that was it. He had, th that was all he had. Uh, needless to say, a Glock 19, you couldn't even begin to grip a Glock 19. But he had he had brought a an LCP twenty two, which he he could manipulate. Okay, we're doing the, you're doing the class with that. Okay, we will work with that. But uh, and that I think that's part of it is that's a huge part of what Tim and I do is meeting students where they are, um, and bringing them forward from there, whether. Whether they're 11 years old or an 82 year old great grandmother or anywhere in between, we just have to meet them where they are and bring them forward from there. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that is different from the private sector versus the cop sector is I know pretty much everybody that's showing up for a cop class is going to be running a full size gun, probably striker fired, 15 to 18 round capacity magazines, and they're going to have mostly a decent holster mm -hmm. yeah, occasionally you'll get the surplus sneak, sneak in or something like that but most of them if they're running from duty gear are going to have a decent holster because it's all pretty much going to be safari land at that point and so those are some of the issues we don't have to worry about from that side but then when you cross over to the private sector class you've got somebody shooting a staccato next to somebody shooting a glock 48 next to somebody shooting an lcp next to somebody shooting whatever and you know that's one of the things you just got to account for that and how you're doing doing your lesson planning and, and like and i it's not just that it's also their physicality what yeah. are they physically right. capable of doing right um i do know i have worked with one cop who was missing fingers from one of his hands but generally stuff like that tends to keep people out of the profession but that's not what you're going to see in the open enrollment world is you get, you get all comers. Yep. Yep. All comers. All right. Um, Tim, you brought up the subject of verbiage. 
So you uh, have the floor. Yes. Okay. So I will quote my dear friend, Tiffany Johnson here. Do not speak to be understood. Speak so you cannot be misunderstood. And the just how immensely important that is and how hard it is to do right every time uh, is incredible. But it, it has gotten me thinking about every single word that I use in every single one of my classes. Okay, drop your mag. Oh, okay, drop it on the ground. Now what? Oh, no, actually, I meant ejected. And you know, okay, but you said drop it. Um, uh, you know, the, the whole thing about, uh, you know, flag your thumb up, but be sure not to flag your hand. Okay, so two different words that mean the same thing here. Uh, there's just, there's so many things that are critical. Um, you know, load a magazine. Does that mean put bullets in the magazine or does that mean load a magazine into the gun? I, I've tried to make my phrasing exactly precise and unambiguous uh, and you know, just very clear, very short, so it cannot be misunderstood. You know, on the on the line with eyes and ears, I repeat it three times, uh, and it's it seems to work pretty well. But I know that uh, every time I analyze a video of myself and I, I listen to what I'm saying, it's like ah, that was ambiguous. I need to fix that. Uh, speaking of ambiguity, uh, in the revolver class I hosted Tom for on Monday, he said, uh, "Yeah, we've got enough targets for everybody, so we're going to shoot all of you at once." And everybody kind of looked at Tom and he goes, I mean, you will all shoot at the same time. <laughs> and they're like, okay, that's much better. And uh, I, it just phrasing is so critically important. And I, it's one of the things I pick up on in classes. I've been to a lot of classes from uh, extremely uh, highly talented instructors who have, you know, occasionally some of their phrasing is ambiguous. And when students in, interpret it one very possible way, uh, instead of the way the instructor intended, it, it, it causes some issues in the class. And I'm thinking, uh, I think you need to fix yourself instead of fussing at them about doing that. But in any case, it's, uh, you know, Tiffany, Tiffany is just such a master of words. And um, I, I want to be like her when I grow up. Yeah, I was teaching an agency rifle class uh, here a week mm -hmm. or so ago. And the student that was performing the drill is a Ranger Master certified instructor. And he's one of those that's in the sub, you know, 13 second casino drill club. Uh, mm -hmm. He was down to 12 something and a very good performer. And he did exactly what I said to do, but it was exactly not what I intended for him to do. <laughs> so here, 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 here was two, you know, two, certified instructors both of us post-certified mm -hmm. instructors right and everything and like i said he did exactly what i told him to do mm -hmm. and and it was just so simple of what i said versus what i intended and because mm -hmm. i'm sitting there watching him shoot this going what on earth is he doing and when he got done i asked him hey man the instructions were he goes yeah the instructions were and he repeated them back to me. I'm like, okay, now I see what, why you did what you did. That's, that's not what I want. And of course, that could have been alleviated had I demoed what I was talking mm -hmm. about. Uh, uh, yes, yes. It's just what I asked for, but it's not what I want. Uh -huh. <laughs> Nicely Rick, done. Yeah, Rick? One challenge when I first started teaching, uh, one challenge that I ran into for myself, and fortunately, the assistant instructor that I had uh, in that in the very first class I did caught it. Uh, 
uh, was I was using a lot of jargon. You know, this was my first, you know, real class on my own that I was teaching and I was using a lot of jargon. And after the class, she, I would have to constantly go back and explain what I meant by that. And she called me out on it and told me why that was. And so I went, start, went clear back to the very beginning of my lesson plan and okay, no, don't call it racking the slide until you explain what racking the slide means, right? Uh, manually operating the mechanism on the pistol is called racking the slide. So when we see racking the slide, we mean pulling it all the way back and letting it fly forward. That's what we mean by racking the slide. And for people that, that knows absolutely zero about that stuff, if we, as a, you know, all three of us here are very seasoned shooters and we're used to being in the upper end of the gun culture, so we can babble back and forth in almost our own language. And we might as well be speaking Chinese to, to new people if we talk like that. So we have to break it. We have to break things down to their very elemental level and do so it, not in a condescending fashion. That is also very important that we, yeah, that we Rick, don't it, do. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, Rick, let me, let me add on to what you're saying right there. I think I have a, uh, a, a huge advantage in this area due to my job that I had for many years working at a uh, large financial services company in San Antonio. Uh, for several years, my job was troubleshooting laptop computers for folks who were out in the field. And these were not computer people, they were insurance people. And they would call from a uh, customer's home with a problem and I had to get them fixed and they're under this stress. And so I got very good at giving precise, unambiguous questions, keeping them calm, uh, you know, keeping their anxiety under control. And then later on, uh, I progressed to doing similar things for uh, senior executives. Uh, and, you know, of course, you, you don't want to be condescending at all. You want to be clear, unambiguous, and make sure that, uh, you know, they come out of this never, ever feeling, well, gosh, I'm an idiot. I couldn't do this or I couldn't do, you know, it's, um, it's basically making them feel comfortable with the instructions, with the procedures, uh, and almost you know, basically making it extremely difficult for them to misunderstand. Uh, and um, there's a, a quote that is one of the ones that I keep on my website that says, the, uh, the secret to education is in respecting the pupil or respecting the student. And, uh, you know, Emerson knew what he was talking about. Yes, he did. And, and you brought up an excellent you, you said an excellent word there, comfortable. Uh, that is, a, to me, a huge part of our job as, as instructors for newbies is to make sure that we have a comfortable learning environment for them mm -hmm. so that they know that nothing, you know, they don't feel like anything can go wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Because yep. guns are scary. You know, they kill people. Just watch the news. They kill people. And we're, we're I think we're, the big thing we're, we're working, one of the big things we work on is demystifying it. Um, I had a thought, exactly. the, I had a thought the other day about, about this, what we're discussing tonight and what our job is as uh, instructors of new students. When I attended TACCON with you guys, uh, Tim, I audited your holster class 
and I didn't take it. I wanted to audit because I could make more notes by sitting behind the line listening to what you said. And I picked up a couple, three great points from you uh, just on teaching holster work. I, I took, I audited John Dobbs class on AIWB carry and I audited Carl's class on holster work for the same reason. And I got neat little things from each of you guys that, that will help me explain things better. You know, and that's the job. We need to explain things better. And what it dawned on me is new people come into the class and we are trying to give them a, a picture, if you will. And the picture is almost like a jigsaw puzzle. And what we are trying to do is provide them the pieces so that they can see the picture. Um, I don't think any of us have all quite all the pieces but we have enough of the pieces that they they get the picture you know we may be missing the piece that's got a fern down here or a fish jumping out of the water over there but they can see what the picture is and we're trying to provide them all these pieces that they can put together and get the picture in their mind of what this is all about i like that i like that a lot I also went back with the intent to audit your class to see how you were teaching holster work for newbies. And Rick mm -hmm. was sitting on the bench and we ended up sitting there talking for a while. <laughs> and we may have missed some excellent material. <laughs> you probably missed a few of my bad jokes, although I don't have a lot of time for them in that class. <laughs> Boy, isn't it? Um, did you, it's difficult to teach in that setting because I always mm -hmm. overestimate what I can accomplish in two hours. Mm hmm. It's and it's really an hour and 45 minutes when you think yeah. about it. So it's as that goes back to uh, some of the stuff that Rick talked about and just we never have enough time. Uh, I uh, so I took a class from Tiffany and Akil that uh, is the NRA CCW instructor class. And um, one of the things I heard Akil mention in there is um, he said, you know, as gun instructors, we're selling dope. And I went, what? And he goes, dopamine, that, that good feeling that you get when you, when you learn something new and you grasp it and you succeed, that, that hit of pleasure that you get from the centers in your brain. And by leaving students with that hit of dopamine, it makes them want to come back. So um, that's, that's what we're trying to do. You know, that reminds me of uh, instance on the range years ago I was teaching a free citizen class to the sheriff's office and we had a lady uh, that had come to the class and get her up and after the first round first live round that she fired I look over and just tears are streaming down her face and I go over and I you know calmly get you know get the gun set down and everything what, what's what's going on ma'am and she was just so scared of the noise and, and everything else that went along with it. It was like, well, man, we're not going to let anything happen. It's going to hurt you. And just like reassuring her. And we got her to double plug with the, the, the plugs up right, underneath sure. the muffs and everything. Mm -hmm. And we get her. So you don't have to finish, you know, keep shooting if you want to, if you want to stay for the rest of the class and just watch that that's fine. Yeah. And made sure there was, she had options here. And she decided she wanted to go through, and by the end of it, she is grinning from ear to ear, and just yes. just having a blast. Pun intended for you there, Tim. Uh, <laughs> you know, in the class, and it's just 
it goes right back to everything we're saying there as far as gateway and and the atmosphere mm -hmm. and, and everything else setting up with that and, and uh lee if you don't mind let me piggyback sure. on that just a little bit mm -hmm. so uh, i've partnered with um breezy warner in the local area here and we co-teach a lot of ladies only classes uh and i gotta say that a number of women have come to classes with some uh, pretty serious anxiety issues around guns and defending themselves and personal boundaries and things like that. So uh, I think as an instructor being extremely uh, sensitive to seeing what's going on in the classroom when you're doing stuff. I, ha I had one student come in, this lady, and picking up a red gun, just a solid chunk of plastic and, you know, getting two hands on it and pointing it at the wall had her shaking like a leaf. She was so terrified. And you know, we got her, got her through that, and got her doing some more. And then I got her using a, a cert training uh, pistol to do some some laser shots. And we went out to the range. Uh, when she did her first live shot, you know, she set the gun down and she burst into tears. And then she said, "I'm okay." And she, by the end of the class, everybody was calling her Annie Oakley because she had just she had pushed through that fear that she had had before. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that that atmosphere of safety, uh, part of that is the teacher student interaction too. Uh, I make it a point whenever I'm with a student uh, and I'm standing, I, I don't hover right over them. And if I do need to adjust something, I always ask, you know, may I adjust? May I touch you on your shoulder and your arm here and, and wait for approval on that? And uh, I know with a lot of folks that really uh, adds to their feeling of safety and comfort in the class. You you hit on a you hit on a key word there, Lee. Uh, voluntary uh, being you know you teaching law enforcement guys is one thing in the in the open enrollment world it's something else and that is something before we go out to the range. I make extremely clear to the students that everything we do on the range is voluntary except safety that is the only thing i'm going to be 100 on is safety if you fire one round and decide and i have had students do that fire one round and that's it that's it uh they they put the gun down and step back out they put the gun on the bench step back out of the booth that was that was it they just did not want to do that anymore and i said i'm completely cool with that I'm completely cool with that. If, if it is, whether it's the noise, whether it's the fact that it's a potentially deadly weapon or anything, you know, if, if you want to just step back and take a break, that's fine. If you want to step out into the lobby where it's quiet, that's fine. You know, you do as much or as little as you want, as long as you are being safe. So, and yes. I explain that to them before we go on to the range so that they know that there is no pressure on them, right? Um, and I, over the over the years, I've had a variety of students start, you know, fire one round or fire just a few rounds or go all the way through up from work up through working from the holster. You know, everything is voluntary on the range, like I say, except safety. And I've had students that one of my proudest one of the students that i'm proudest of um she was the same way she, when we started shooting on the range uh she was in tears she worked her way through it but she was in tears she's now the manager of the range and also teaches there 
So I'm really, really proud of her. I'm working, putting a lot, of, leaning on her pretty hard to get get to range master and, and take Tom's class. But, you know, that's uh, one, one of the things with, with the open enrollment world is you may have someone who has had a traumatic experience is what exactly. led them to come to the class in the first place. And the handling of the firearm in that first round that they fire may trigger those memories. I've know, bring that. that back up to the forefront. And that's something we've got to be prepared for on the instructional side. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very fortunate that I have, I have a couple, three people that take turns being my assistant instructor and all three of them are ladies. Uh, as soon as I entered, you know, start out and do introductions and stuff, as soon as I introduce the woman sitting at the back of the room as the assistant instructor uh, for the class, you know, about half my students are women. So as soon as I mentioned that, yes, there's a woman on staff here with us, uh, that you can, a lot of times you can just see some of the tension leave some of the students. Uh, just because, yeah, there's not going to be this six foot three, 235 pound gorilla, you know, trying to get you to do everything. Um, there, there's somebody, there's somebody that plays for the other team, uh, if you will, uh, is going to be, is going to be, you know, and, and that comes back and that is actually purposeful on my part, um, that it just makes a more welcoming environment for the students. You know, I also explained that, that, uh, yeah, when, uh, when John and Melody brought their armed parent guardian class out last year, Jamie shot a 98 on the FBI qual. So she shoots well enough to teach at the FBI Academy. So if she makes a suggestion, you should listen to her, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, it, it, I find that also makes a, can make a huge difference. So. Tim, any closing thoughts on that? Um, yeah, one thing, I, uh, I had a woman come to me for some private coaching, and we got through a couple of classes, and she made some huge improvements. Uh, and then she and her husband came to me for a private coaching session, and her husband did well, and the two of them did really well. And they said, we want to do one more lesson, and we're going to bring our two daughters with us. And, uh, you know, I was like, great, you know, the family that trains together, stay safe together. And uh, they came out and one of the daughters was very much uh, into shooting and she was really looking forward to doing the handgun portion of it. They also had brought some palm prep pepper spray that they wanted to test out on a target. So they all got to fire it. Uh, and the other daughter, the fourth daughter said, I'm, I'm not going to do any gun stuff. I, I just, I'm, I'm not interested. I'm a vegetarian. I don't, I don't like guns or anything like that. And I said, Hey, I'm a vegetarian too. And, you know, we talked about that for a few minutes and I said, yeah, you know, with the, I don't hunt with guns. They're for home protection and things like that. But Hey, since we're all here, why don't we do a quick refresher real quick? Uh, I've got these laser, these cert laser pistols. Let's have everybody go through and kind of refresh on grip and sights and trigger. Uh, and, and we'll do that. Will you do that? And she's like, Oh, sure. I'll do that. And uh, I got her comfortable with the gun and the laser and everything. And then when it came time for live fire, I said, do you like to try this? And she goes, yeah, I think I will try that. So, you know, she was unwilling to, but sort of taking those baby steps to get her up to a part where she thought she was uh, uh, comfortable enough and competent enough to do it and not feel like an absolute beginner. I think that, that's one of the, one of the lessons that I'm really proud of really including her in that whole, uh, in that whole group. Because you did not put any pressure on her. 
you did not put any pressure on her. What what you did is you demystified it for her. So then she was willing to take the next step. She could see the path. So she was willing to take the next step. Good on you. And she had a choice in the matter. And she had a choice in the matter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, To drop Tiffany's name again. um, (laughs) Bingo, bingo. bingo. Right, right. (laughs) Um, When when the pandemic first started and Tiffany and Akil were doing the free online classes, um, they had somebody tune in from Seattle. And uh, the person person contacted them and wanted some more education about about things with everything that was going on in downtown Seattle. I'm sure you guys probably, we made the news for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had just bought a home. She was a very successful uh, business executive. And uh, so Tiffany put me, put us in touch and, and we, we, uh, we corresponded back and forth to figure out what she wanted and so on. And she wanted a private lesson. Okay. Uh, so we set up a date for it. And she warned me in advance that she said, I will admit I have an irrational fear of guns. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. We'll work with this. We will work with this. And uh, we did. We went through, I basically put her through most of my fundamentals class because that's so much handling of inert guns in the classroom just to get her familiar with it. Then we went out mm-hmm. to the range. Uh, we were the only people in the bay. So it was reasonably quiet and I demonstrated shooting a nine millimeter and uh, asked her if she wanted to try it. And I said, she said, no. Okay. I said, well, let me, uh, let me show you a 22. Okay. And so I grabbed a Glock 44 out of the box and put some rounds in it and fired it a couple of, fired a magazine through it, just demonstrating what, how it operated and things again. And uh, then I asked her if, if uh, she wanted to try that, she yeah, that one isn't nearly as loud. Well, she went through here. This woman in four in three and a half hours went from irrationally fearing guns to having that new shooter grin that I'm sure we have all seen that means so much to us. So yeah. um, I, go ahead, Tim. Oh, I was going to say, uh, I've, I've had several people say I have an irrational fear of guns. And I say, there's nothing irrational about it. These things are dang- You're holding something in your hand that is literally exploding and you're holding it two feet in front of your face. I said, any rational person should be afraid of that if they don't know anything about it. And my job here is to help you understand it. So you lose that fear of it and you just understand it and treat it accordingly. But uh yeah, that's a that's a great story. That new shooter grin after that start is fantastic. Yeah, she uh, she still wasn't sure after that um, if she wanted to get a firearm, and so we went over OC spray for a while. We talked about that, and I happened to have a little demo with little de- palm demo with me, and uh, we went over that. And I said, okay, this and a really bright flashlight will be a good start will be a good start and i said if it's just for around if you want something for around the house uh seeing as as you work for the uh the largest let's just say she worked for she was a senior executive for the largest online retailer they have large cans of bear spray (laughs) yes good stuff and just 
just keep get a couple of those and keep them strategically positioned. I said that will be a mm -hmm. that will be a good step, a good middle ground right there. And a flashlight is a flashlight is a flashlight. And you can take those pretty much anywhere and they will solve a lot of problems. Exactly. I, I carry flashlights on the airplane. I can carry a flashlight on the airplane. It goes right through TSA, no problems at all, because it's a flashlight. Mm -hmm. Well, the, uh, the, T, the TSA did give my uh, Surefire Stiletto flashlight a very long, hard look on the x-ray machine. And I finally leaned over and said, it's a flashlight. And they, okay, there you go. I, I, they haven't questioned my Stiletto Pro. They have questioned, I have, I, instead of a key ring, I have one of those key bars. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to figure out, they were digging through my bag, trying to figure it out. And they showed me the picture. I said, oh, that red, that red clutch bag in the middle, pull that out. That was all my pocket litter. And they pulled it mm -hmm. out of my keys. But yeah, they don't seem to have any trouble at all with flashlights. And like you say, Lee, a flashlight can solve a lot of problems. Yes, it can. And they're, uh, and, and they're non-lethal. That's right. That's right. Uh, I think establishing mindset, I think, Tim, that was yours. Uh, yes, yes. Um, I have been teaching the Texas License to Carry course for, well, since 2010. And Carl Wren's studies show that about 97% of people who get a Texas license to carry never take another minute of training. So I've done a lot of work to make sure that my license to carry course is as comprehensive as it can be in the state mandated four to six hours. Uh, and my, my cost for the course is I mean, you can, you can get instructor taught courses, taught courses for half the price of what I charge for mine. Uh, I've partnered with a local gun shop and they had uh, one of my classes advertised on their Facebook page. And somebody commented and said, you know, for that price, I hope he includes a steak lunch with the class. And the instructor or the uh, shop owner called me and said, uh, do you want me to respond? And I said, no, no, that's okay. I'll respond. And uh, so I typed up this nice response. I said, hey, that's a great point. My class is twice as expensive. But given the fact that this may be the only training that somebody gets on a critical subject that if uh, they don't know enough can wind up with death, serious injury, major legal problems, uh, emotional uh you know, just the, 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 the consequences for not knowing enough can be severe. I said, I make sure that my classes, you've got a, you know, you've got a smidgen of Tom Givens on mindset in here. You've got a bit of Masayub on legal in here. Uh, you know, you've got a bit of Greg Elifritz on de-escalation, you know, all of these different uh, subject matter experts and uh, ensure that they get just, just enough of it to kind of hopefully pique their interest. Uh, and, you know, that, will that definitely drives up the cost of it and i said you know you like anything else you get what you pay for do you want to do you want to buy a kia or do you want to buy a lexus it's up to you and uh the uh, shop owner read my response and she said wow you were much nicer than i would have been <laughs> and i thought okay thanks i'm glad i did that but uh i the first 10 minutes, 15 minutes of my license to carry class is about mindset. It's essentially from Tom's range master instructor. Uh, you know, why do you, why do you carry a gun? Why do you need a gun? What are your chances of needing a gun? What are the odds? What are the stakes? Um, 
you know, talk a, a bit about training. And uh, I use a quote from Sullenberger that I thought I thought of, of my own or I found on my own, but I finally realized that I think John Hearn posted that and I may have pulled it from him unconsciously about, um, you know, that, that flight that he successfully glided to a water landing. It was 42 years of, uh, you know, training experience and practice that allowed him to do that. And I talk about the, the training journey and getting to unconscious competence uh, but a lot I talk about is, you know, like a seatbelt, the gun doesn't really do you any good unless it is on you when you need it. And uh, just that mindset of <clears throat> don't think of it as a talisman. The license to carry card isn't a talisman. The gun isn't a talisman. It has to be on your person or within, uh, within your reach when you need it. And as Tom says, you don't get to pick the day. Someone else chooses for you and typically notify you at the very last instant. Yeah, I, I, Washington State does not require, um, does not require a, uh, a class to get their carry permit. Uh, but I teach the Utah uh, concealed pistol licenses for up here, the class for that. And it sounds like we are very much in sync on what we are teaching there. Uh, the people come into that class that's, um, it's a rather unique class. My other classes, people are coming to learn. Those classes, people are coming to check the box. You know, so they may walk in with a different attitude. So when I get into things like, uh, uh, like mindset, like heavily into uh, the legal side of things, when can you point a gun at someone? Well, you really can't point a gun at anyone until you are justified in shooting them. Right. Because pointing a gun at someone is assault. And most of them don't understand that. Uh, and they they several of them commented that this class isn't what I was expecting, <laughs> you know, and like you like you said, uh, getting into in, into awareness and being serious about that, getting into verbal de-escalation, getting into having a, a mid-level option like OC spray, how. You know, if you see a problem and even if you cross the street and can avoid it by just crossing the street, that avoidance, you need to mentally think of that avoidance as victory. That is not you having to go out of your way. You were victorious in that situation. Uh, and by expressing that to them, they're like, oh, okay. So I'm not just going out of my way. I just... Huh, I just want, I just want a potential deadly force encounter by avoiding it. Yay me. Yes. Right. <clears throat> using, using your superior skills and mindset to avoid having to use your superior gunfighting skills. Who was that? Was that Murphy? I think anyway. I, yeah. It sounds like a Murphy. It sounds like a Murphy, but yeah, they, they come in, you know, expecting one thing. And I, I, you know, lots of lots of Masad Ayub and this this Weems guy and and Hearn and Tom Givens and all the other people that we have we have trained with because we are mm -hmm. we are an amount as you know we are an amalgamation of what we have learned. You know, we're we're a aggregator and then conduits. You know, and mm -hmm. and uh, so we try to pick the the most relevant from each. At least I try to pick the most relevant from each for for whatever I'm teaching at that moment. So, mm -hmm. yep. 
The uh, speaking of uh, mindset, one of the pictures I use in my uh, uh, de-escalation is recognizing a, a situation and thinking, do I really want to walk into that situation if I have a choice? And the photograph I use is this very sketchy looking dude leaning against the wall outside of Walmart. I think you know him, uh, Lee. His name uh, is Mr. Steve Havey. Yeah. Uh, well, his, his name yeah. is, yes, but Steve there with the sunglasses, leaning back, mm -hmm. checking out the patrons coming and going. It's like sketchy dude. Yeah. I think That's I Steve. use that same picture. Mm -hmm. I think I use that same picture. You know, what's that? It, the examples, what's that guy doing? You know, is he waiting for his wife or what's he doing? You know, so yeah, something simple as like where you park, you know, park, maybe park away from other people. So you can see as you're getting in and out of your vehicle, you can see anyone approaching instead of them just popping up right next to them. Just little things like that, presenting that to them. And you can see little light bulbs going on. How much of it sticks is up to them. But I think it, it's, you know, we need to, to provide them as much information as we can. So the, what you, one of my favorite questions is, if you think you wouldn't go there without a gun, why would you go there with a gun? <laughs> you know, exactly. if it's that bad a place that you wouldn't go there without a gun, why would you go there with a gun? Mm -hmm. So, yes, that uh, that comes up on the uh, one of the questions I ask early on is once you've got your permit, once you've got enough training to feel comfortable and competent to carry, how often do you plan on carrying uh, some of the time, most of the time, all of the time, just when you think you need it. And I put that one out there. And usually in every class, two or three people say, well, I, I only think I'll carry when I think I need it. And it's like, wow, um, how do you how do you know that, you know? Uh, and we talk a little bit about the, the uh, you know, just that impression that you, you think you can anticipate it, but it's for an unanticipated problem. Um, just uh, lots and lots and lots of, uh, lots of things to, to kind of drill in that every fight you, you avoid, you win. Uh, and anything that you can do to avoid having to use force or deadly force is, is a win for you in the long run. One of the other instructors at the range here was a 25-year SWAT cop from down in Southern California. Excellent, excellent instructor. And um, I, we took each other's classes uh, to see if there were any conflicts between what we were teaching, okay? Uh, because I didn't want someone coming to my class saying well Darby said this you know and you just said the opposite and he, he and I agreed that we, you know that's why we took each other's classes anything we disagree any any discrepancy were minor techniques they weren't they weren't principles so we were both very happy with that but he always in his class he asks his students even if they are carrying he said, always ask yourself in, in any situation, what would I do if I didn't have a gun? Is there any way I could solve this if I didn't have a gun? Okay. You know, if I could just leave. Okay. Well, I, well, even if you're wearing a gun, why don't you just leave then? Right. Or pepper spray or talk my way out of it. You know, things like that. I thought that, I thought that was extremely thought that was an extremely good point. You know, always ask yourself, 
What would I do in this situation if I didn't have my gun? Can I find a way out of it? That's your best choice. So that is that is intriguing, and I'm going to give a lot of thought to that. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. It's the difference between two verbs, may and must. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, you know, yeah. I, may is permissive. Can, may, should, mm-hmm. yeah. may is permissive. Is what the law allows. Mm-hmm. But if you're not in the position of you must, just because you may doesn't mean that's the correct answer or the best answer. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's never can I shoot him? It's do I have to shoot him? Well, can can refers to ability. That's true. Mm-hmm. May so, refers yeah. to permission, and must refers mm-hmm. to necessity. That, that, uh, yeah, that's, my verbiage, have... that's my verbiage. That's my verbiage thing for tonight. <laughs> I, like I, that. I, I will. I, I will. I will. I will. Uh, I will edit the. I will edit things right now. Because yeah. I. Yeah, I, I, I uh... you, you guys both know me well and know that I can tend to get a little sarcastic at times. And uh, I, I had a, a cop student that was struggling and something. He said, well, can I shoot them if I said, well, if they stand to your left and crouch down low enough, long enough, I think you can. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank goodness. Now I see why. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm but, trying to but, do better. I'm trying to it, do better. It, in, in 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 thinking of that leave what you just said is excellent and that's why i'm going to going to edit my my thing because that that is actually a better way to put it i had a fifth grade i had a fifth grade english teacher named mrs graham and every student that ever went through mrs graham's class can probably still quote you the 23 helping verbs and occasionally i do it just to prove to myself that i still can and she was very particular in the way that she said things. And the whole can and may thing was a big deal to her. And if you went over, Mrs. Graham, can I go to the bathroom? You would get a very prim and proper. I don't, I don't know. Can you? <laughs> and if he didn't say, may I go to the bathroom? Because you weren't asking for permission. You were asking if you had the ability. Yeah, there's a, there's a Rick, there's a couple of great articles. I can't remember exactly what periodical I saw them in. It's available online, but it's a it's a deep dive into the can, may, should, must paradigm by somebody mm-hmm. whose name escapes me. But uh, yeah, that can, may, should, must is really, really good. And I used to have a, a long discussion in my class till they cut my time to six hours. And now <laughs> I just don't have time anymore. Yeah, I, I, I touch on Claude Warner's version of that in my classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and get in and in and get into you know negative outcomes and start explaining negative outcomes to to students about you know i skip think of sh- all the ways this can go wrong before you start it, thinking how it can go right and and on that part rick too i actually have the expert uh, the excerpt of and i have claude warner's negative outcomes and i i have them highlighted like tiffany does where you know, all right, these, this is Claude Warner's book, Negative Outcomes, you know, the first one highlights, and I have each student read them as the highlight moves down, and so they're all reading these out loud, and they're going, wow, yeah, gosh, you know, shooting somebody intentionally or unintentionally that I shouldn't have, getting shot by responding officers, all of those things, and I, I think having them read that out loud and going around the classroom really kind of drives in those points well. I, I thank Tiffany for that little PowerPoint trick. Yeah. 
you know, back back to the the whole verbiage thing there. I tend to not do the should because to me should is a moral question, hmm. and I don't yeah. want to interject my morals onto someone else. Yeah. And and to me, it can be situationally dependent as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. If yeah. I am by myself, and you know, active killer situation, and I'm by myself as a deputy sheriff, I feel obligated. Uh, to intervene there even putting myself at risk of one dealing with that situation plus the response that's coming versus if i am with loved ones or significant others and i'm off Mm -hmm. duty okay my first obligation is to them is to get them out of the out of the scene and so Mm -hmm. should is a very 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 personal question based and it can be situationally dependent but must is i don't have any choice I, yeah. I like that a lot. I yeah. like that. You made a you made a good you made a you touched on something there that I think is important. Um, when you said moral judgment and you don't want to put your morality on anybody else because we are all individuals, and I think that goes back to the circles back to the welcoming thing. Um, I do not expect to turn out clones of me out of these classes, right? Um, I'm so deeply into this, I have basically no other life, right? Uh, my life is wrapped, is wrapped up in either, is either this or my, my day job, which, which I you know, another business I own, uh, beating mountains into submission. Uh, that's why I don't try and project my carry choices, carry methods, things like that onto other people, because working up in the mountains, that's about the most permissive environment you can get, right? Um, So I, when Claude Warner tells, you know, instructors, go get a real job, um, I'm not going to go get another job, but I, I do understand what he's saying and understand that not everyone has the wardrobe choices on flexibility that I have. You know, so I'm very cognizant of that when I teach. Um, so it, it's, it's like I say, it's meeting students where they are and helping them be the best that they can be the, and also the best that they want to be. Um, you know, all three of us here have taken a lot of classes from a lot of different people. That's a big part of our, that's a big part of our recreation, if nothing else. You know, that's what we enjoy doing. Some people just want to be good enough to defend themselves. And that's as far as, you know, and then, then show up the range once a month or so and, and, and practice a little bit. That's, that's as much as, that's as much as they want to do. They don't want to, they don't want to go through 12,000 rounds of ammo a year. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's understanding that everybody's an individual is what it amounts to. Right. We, we had several other topics we were going to get to tonight, but we're going to end on this one uh, because we have limited time because that was one of the topics we were going to do. We've already been going about an hour and a half. Uh, it's, been a very, very, it's been a very quick hour and a half. Yes, it uh, has. Rick, you, you wanted to talk about limited time with students. So I'll give you the floor. Um, referring back when I talked about trying to, to form that picture for people, um, we we're trying to give them as many pieces of the puzzle so they can see the picture. And pretty soon we run out of time. It would be nice to give them this piece over here or this piece over here. Uh, 
but when you are taking a a new a brand new student and never ever like i call them never ever touched a gun before by the time six hours is over you know with all with mostly classroom we're only on the range for about an hour and a half and you know break that up that's kind of in the middle of the day then we go back into the classroom and talk about talk about legal issues and gear and things like that a little bit um there is so much more I would love to tell them in so much more depth to fill in the other little pieces of the picture that there just isn't time to do it. And part of that is information overload. You know, they're basically coming in and even though we try to make the, keep the everything as low pressure as we can, they're still drinking from a fire hose, basically. You know, there's a tremendous amount to this, just, just to be able to, accurately uh fire fire a handgun there's lots of little things they have to do correctly just to be able to hit a four inch target at four yards right there's lots of little things they have to do correctly just to do that so if you try to pile too much onto them pretty soon their brain just shuts off and and there's a limit to that that's why uh that's why i break the class up the way i do where the we get them safe handling safe and and comfortable and confident handling firearms. Then we go out and do the range portion. And then, okay, that's done, stress is off. We can go have some laughs when I show silly pictures of stupid holsters, okay? Mm -hmm. You know, like I start out with the one, you've probably seen the picture of the guy that's got the, the SIG 320 stuffed in a Subway sandwich on his belt, okay? That's how I open my holster lecture <laughs> about what makes a good holster. We're still trying to figure out if that's from Subway or Jimmy John's, but but you know um but we can go back in and all the pressure's off we're done shooting guns now all the guns are put away the tables are cleaned up everything's everything's put away there's no more stress now we're just going to have some fun and and talk about and give them some information to help them make make decent choices on on gear um but yeah it would it would be lovely to have them for two days but um it, there just isn't enough time in six hours to try to give them everything that they really need to have. So. Yeah. I kind of liken that to if you watch a movie multiple times, you notice things in subsequent viewings that you don't didn't notice yep. previously. Yep. And mm -hmm. same, same thing with information me coming through the class. I watched the movie Troy the other night on tv and i don't know how many times i've seen the movie at least a dozen and because it's one of those every time i see it on i watch it and the scene where uh hector and achilles fight and brad pitt kills uh, eric banna i noticed something this time watching it that i had never noticed and at least a dozen other times that i've watched the movie and I've, I've been through the firearms world where I've gone back through classes that I've taken previously and I pick up things now that I didn't mm -hmm. pick. And part of it is because, you know, I don't have the mental stress and the mental challenges going on and everything's going on. And, and just another way to liken that is last year, or I guess 2020 right before the world ended, I went through uh, Fletzi's firearms instructor program. Mm -hmm. All right. I've already been through Georgia Post firearms instructor program. I've already been through FBI's firearms instructor program. 
all the stuff that I've been through in the private sector. And I go to Flessy basically just to add another credential. And I get out of the truck in the parking lot knowing I'm going to pass the class. Okay, the only question is, is am I going to have the highest score? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the only pressure that I had on me. Mm-hmm. But there was a cop there that probably had three years total on the job. Sent there by his agency. And they are counting on him to come back with that certificate so they can run their annual qualifications. And the pressure that guy was under. And as, as hard as he struggled throughout the class. And I sat there thinking... Yeah, I'm having a ball. I'm getting paid to be here for two weeks to to do this. And that guy's struggling because he may have to go back to his agency and tell him he failed the agency. Mm -hmm. And then you throw that too. We've got six hours to deal with someone and give them every piece of information we're going to give them. Mm -hmm. How do you choose those six hours, Tim? That's uh, so quick question. Was it the perfect warrior one yoga pose that Brad Pitt winds up in after their first crossing swords? No, it's, uh, you know, when he kills him at the last one, he stabs the, when he hits him uh-huh. in, the, in the shoulder with that broken spear. And then he stabs uh-huh. him when he ties the rope around his feet and drags him off. The spear is still sticking out uh-huh. of him. Ah, okay. And I was like, you know what? I have watched this thing how many times and just not seen that. Gotcha. The uh, the yoga pose was something my sweetheart pointed out, right? Yeah. And that when we saw it in the theaters, actually. But yeah. uh, anyway, so limited time and how do you choose? Um, I think a lot of that comes down to verbiage again and choosing precisely the right words and using just those words and avoiding the temptation to explain the same thing three different ways in class. Having those on tap to where if somebody's having trouble grasping it can be good, but you know, pick your main points, the, you know, the safety points, the, the grip, the stance, the trigger, uh, pick those points and explain them using just enough words, no more, no less, and, and avoid that temptation to uh, keep expounding over and over again in different ways, because then it, it's like, wait, are we still talking about triggers now? Is it, and it, I think that that, you know, that avalanche of words can really uh, cause people to kind of shut down. So, um, I, I provide note outlines for all my students, the LTC class, three pages front and back, and people usually have them full, but we just, you know, it's just the, 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 the salient, the critical points explained in the most thoughtful and succinct way possible. Uh, and then uh, one other thing I did is I stole one of Carl Wren's techniques, and uh, any student can take any uh, class of mine, uh, can repeat it for half price. So, you know, somebody comes to a class I, and they, yeah. I do, do that as rank. well. I do that as it's, well. It's, it's a great thing. I mean, especially if it's a class that you've got, you know, there's not really a lot of effort in, in redoing it. You've already got the content and uh, having those people come back. I've had one lady take my holster class three times and each time she has made tremendous improvement. Yep. And yep. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's a, it's a way to, to make it comfortable and attractive for them to take the same class over and pick up those things they didn't get the first time. And it gives them and it, and it inspires, I think it inspires confidence in them, uh, in that they see an opportunity to keep learning. Um, they've been through it once. 
okay, I've done this once, but I didn't, I'm not, not as far as I wanted to be. So I can come back, I can do this again. It's, it's not going to be anything new. It's just going to be repeating it. So they're a lot more comfortable coming back to something they already know. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the, the, every, every repeat student, every student I've had repeat uh, my fundamentals class, my basic class has then gone on to my first defensive pistol class. You know, um, so yeah, I take a, you know, I take a little bit of a hit on, on the returning student thing, but they, I kind of make it up later, but just seeing how much they've improved, how much, how much more confidence they have when they come back and finish the second class, because they, like you say, they're picking up more of the material, you know, they, they're able to put more pieces on in the puzzle and, and get, and get more of the picture and get more of the picture but yeah i was going to mention that. that that's something i offer is is any of my students can repeat a class for half price so, I th go ahead, Rick. Go ahead. Uh, something else i was going to I, I i i noticed in my in my journey of of taking classes from different people is what instructors choose to put in their classes and what they choose to leave out, you know, what, what they think are the, you know, cause we're all individuals, right? Uh, what each one of us thinks is, are the most important things to put in, even though we know they know the other stuff too, but there just isn't time to put that in with it. But it's, I think it's, I, I find it interesting watching other instructors on what they're putting in and, but more importantly, what they're leaving out, you know, what, what each of us considers most important most important you know I, I i really find that interesting as an instructor and one thing i want to kind of go back to for the movie analogy here for a second is we see our classes all the time yeah yeah we know that well that point was on slide 16 i know i covered it you know or whatever and the student is in that matter they're watching the movie for the first time mm-hmm and they may be, their mind may be fixated on something that they saw on slide 11. And their yep. mind hasn't come to us, come along with the rest of the class to slide 16. And, you know, with that thing, and I guess you, you guys may have to deal with this if you're dealing with some sort of state testing issue or whatever. We know we covered the material, but we had the test at the end of the day. They may not have they saw the material that presented in class, but they may not have it in their memory. Yeah. Coming back right there at the, at the end of the day. And that, that has always just kind of the whole one day or two day training model to try to get all this stuff across. is just, it's not a, not a very good model. We, we have, we have to pick our battles. We have to pick our battles, you know, uh, yeah. on one of your previous podcasts, Lee, you mentioned what could we do if we had them two hours a night every week, for for six months what could we do with them like like a martial arts dojo you know uh that would be very interesting to see what we could do yeah what we could do in that yep i think we could turn out a generation of shooters who'd be given uh you know given all of us uh, old semi-fast guys a really good run for our, our money at that con and other uh, major events and stuff like yeah. that yeah yeah, 
I'm in the the ability now with with the job I'm in that I've got a laboratory. Mm-hmm. Where I can constantly be tweaking and, and playing with stuff with, with students. And I, I did an instructor development class last year for my my company. And one of the learning things that I've gotten very interested in is the topic of interleaving. And I mentioned this mm-hmm. on a previous episode, and it's not, you know, we tend to teach in the chunking method, but interleaving is we try to access different parts of the brain and people will learn mm-hmm. more about a topic if you do that. And so I'm playing now constantly. That's my thing is like in every little four hour class I do with my guys at the sheriff's office is how many different things can I hit, but hit it from the, from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. and try to lock that into their into their mind and make them think about it from different aspects and you know i've been preaching the support hand pin to the chest as the strong hand goes to the pistol with these guys for 13 years now i had them shoot a drill the other day simulating being inside of a vehicle and having to shoot a threat on the driver's side door well if they come out with the pistol and turn to go across and that support hand sitting out here now it's into their head. Oh, he's not just saying this. This has a real life consequence if I don't yes. do this. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not tracking that muzzle safely, going back on the same path that I took it over, now I'm pointing the gun at my own femoral artery. That is suboptimal. Yeah. That and, is suboptimal. And so I'm looking at ways to address some of the things I'm constantly preaching on from a technique standpoint and how to put those into practical application standpoints that are making them actually mm-hmm. process that through their head. Because I've had numerous of my guys have come back to me after the class and said, you know, I just always thought you were just harping on this stuff or just, you know, and I never had thought of that whole process of going like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're starting to see those wheels turn. Mm-hmm. It's designing IDPA stages to reinforce some of those same things to, you know, good defensive tactics, good gun handling, yeah. and put them in a situation that, you know, may not be something that they've thought about before. Yeah. Something I started doing in my defensive pistol classes is I will teach a skill and then I will, will immediately switch over and give the context for that skill after they've learned that skill now okay now here is when we would use that skill okay you know whether it's a whether it's uh putting two shots in the eight inch circle and then a shot in the four inch circle in the head okay this is a transition we're transitioning up okay well uh now let's explain why you might do that well you put two rounds here and the guy's still standing, or maybe he's wearing body armor or something. So now you may need to shoot him somewhere else. Okay. Let's go for this spot here. Okay. That explains the why. And I've done that a few times on, on different things like that. And you can see light bulbs coming off. Okay. Now this is why you practice it this way. You practice this, but this is what the skill is. This is the context of the skill. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, something I've, I've started doing, I've started doing in my, in my more advanced class is working transition sideways, you know, multiple targets. I stick a no shoot between them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Watch how many people muzzle no shoot. And I say, um, 
that was grandma. Why did you point a gun at grandma? Okay. The next one of those I run, I've got a, I've got a friend of mine who's a, who's a pretty decent little, little quick artist. I'm going to have him put faces on the pretty little faces on the targets mm -hmm. for, on the no shoots. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, don't be muzzling grandma. You know, we need to think of these things. I do a drill like that in my pistol craft class. And it's yeah. one of a and mm -hmm. we do it as part of a head on head shoot off. And so everybody's got the pressure and a gentleman that, that uh, you both know uh, came through one of the classes and uh, I challenged him in front of the class. And this guy's pretty good on the competition circuit. He's won some state level IDPA stuff. And so I called him out in front of the class and we're buddies. So we can do this stuff. Like, I want you buddy. I want you and got him up. And I had somebody else give the go signal and I heard him burning it down. I just, bang, bang, avert my muzzle, come over, bang, bang. And I take over the knockover target. He's already back in the holster. And then I holster, I said, I won. He's like, what do you mean? I beat you. I said, yeah, but you muzzled the no shoot. I didn't even watch you shoot because I'm shooting mine. He's like, how do you know I did that? I looked around, look at the audience, you know, the rest of the class. What did he do? He straight across. Muzzled. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, guys, we are probably approaching about an hour and 45 minutes at this point. Okay. I would love to keep going and uh, and everything we could. I've actually got to get to another podcast after we get done here. Um, Holy smokes. So, uh, Rick, any final thoughts for tonight? And no, also, I, also plug anything you got coming up. Uh, I'm pretty fortunate. The demand seems to be, uh, seems to be pretty high uh, as far as, uh, as far as classes are booked up a, as far ahead as we, we dare book them, people start forgetting they signed up for things and not showing up. So we're kind of careful about that. But uh, yeah, things are, uh, things are going, uh, going really well up here. Uh, I don't have a website. I do have a Facebook page, Foundational Defensive Training. I put some stuff up there once in a while. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I really enjoyed this. I think we covered a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of good points tonight. So thank you for, thank you for inviting me. I'm glad you came. Tim. Uh, let's see. Um, my local classes are all posted on my tdrtraining.com website uh, on the calendar. Uh, as addition to my classes, I host a lot of top folks. Uh, Tom Givens just left. And uh, I've got John Murphy coming this September to Bandera. And uh, let's see, I also got invited to present at the ASP National Conference uh, I think it is also in September up in Manhattan, Kansas, and then uh, look forward to being at TACCON again next year as well. But um, just very fortunate to be able to do what I love and uh, make enough money to cover my ammo. There you go. Well, guys, I very much appreciate you coming on tonight. This has turned out very well, I think. Uh, I hope our audience really likes it because uh, I've, I've enjoyed interacting with both of you at events and everything. And I knew you both were uh, pretty studious guys and what you're doing and very conscientious guys and what you're doing. So that's why I said, you know what, I want to cover this topic. These are the guys that I want to have come do it. And I've been very pleased with, with the conversation tonight. Uh, so thank you. I, I'll leave you with this uh, teaching one of the free citizen classes uh, through the sheriff's office. I had a nurse and no matter what I called, she shot the target in the head. And so finally, I was kind of stepped over to the side and I said, ma'am, uh, 
even when I'm calling for like two center mass, you're going to the head each time. Would, would you explain to me why you're doing that? And she says, I'm an ER nurse and I've seen too many people fighting in the ER after being shot in the chest. I'm shooting in the head. I like her. <laughs> just like, well, now that certainly is a different context than what, than what I was. I thinking think she of. would she would have no problems articulating that in a court of law. Uh, but you want to nice. talk about mindset? She had her mindset on point. Yeah, on she, point. She knew exactly why she was t- touching that firearm and what she was going to be using it for. Yep. It, should should mm-hmm. that should she be forced in that that position? Um. Well, guys, I, I thank you for your time here tonight. Uh, to the audience, I remind you that we're only allowed to share the links to the show with our smart friends. Someone two weeks ago broke that rule and shared it with someone that wasn't a smart friend or else they stumbled on it on their own. So let's be careful with who we're sharing it with, but find some more smart people to share the links with. And I know that your most important asset is your time. So thank you for choosing to spend your time with us tonight. <laughs>